Welcome to Dark Blue Lit, where we delve into the world of horror each month with a different piece of literature or a short story. I am your host, your ghost host for the hour, Kayla Berry. And uh, my other co-host, uh, uh, Master Editor and Chief. My name is Sade. I'm producer for Darkly Lit. I'm also creator and host for the Witching Hour podcast. And then to the far corner of the, of the country. Exactly. <laughs> Hi, I am Chelsea Comer, a.k.a. C.F. Comer. I am an illustrator and attempting to be a comic creator. And right now I'm doing Inktober, so go follow me on whatever. I'm C.F. Comer on pretty much everything. Hi, everyone. <laughs> I've been at... I... The house! The house! <laughs> <laughs> I leaned back in my chair and it made a noise. Therefore, they got all riled up. <laughs> and to my immediate left. I'm David King, and don't stop to figure out a plan. You can't reason with a headless man. <laughs> uh, if you haven't guessed, uh, this month is, well, it's October, so we're going to do something a little more classic. <laughs> the Legend of Sleepy Hollow by Washington Irving. Since David has been super excited for this... Uh, you want to give the synopsis? I'll do what I can. Uh, this story, which is presented as the posthumous writings of one Diedrich Knickerbocker, is set in the small New York Valley of Sleepy Hollow back in the early 1800s. It tells the story of the local schoolmaster, Ichabod Crane, who comes to a town from Connecticut in order to educate the children. While in this town, he becomes... in. He becomes engrossed in the local customs of the area, falls in love with the rich farmer's daughter, Katrina Van Tassel, finds himself fighting for her affections with a rival, Brom Bones, and gets into all kinds of uh, unfortunate mischief when Brom decides to bring the rivalry back to him. Of course, this all culminates at the Van Tassel quilting frolic, where after hearing a story about the Headless Horseman, on his travel home that night, Ichabod encounters what he thinks is the specter of a headless phantom on horseback. Uh, his disappearance after that ride becomes a major stir in the town of Sleepy Hollow and cements the whole thing as a legend. Damn! <laughs> <laughs> okay, usually, I mean, I usually do, and I think uh, other uh, the rest of us have too. When we do the summary, we usually, like, we'll type it up or we'll read it and try to summarize what we've read. David just said that on the spot. <laughs> you're, you're welcome, America. <laughs> oh, my God. I um, I believe I said this in the last episode, but I have written papers about this uh, story. Uh, this is near and dear to my heart from my childhood, as it is the heart of many people in America throughout the uh, decades. Uh, so much so, actually, the I had to, Centuries, even. Yeah, I actually had to do research on this a little bit. Apparently... There is a Sleepy Hollow in New York, but it was originally called Terrytown. Uh, the town that's actually referred to in The Legend of Sleepy Hollow. Mm -hmm. Terrytown changed its name to Sleepy Hollow in like the uh, like 1996, 1997. Hmm. And has been called Sleepy Hollow ever since and actually makes it a big deal during Halloween time. Mm -hmm. I've heard it said that uh, Sleepy Hollow has built itself as the Halloween capital of America. Oh, man. Mm -hmm. And I want to go some October 31st. I'm uh, so all Eve. 
I've always wanted to go to like just like any town that like really plays up Halloween and they have like the whole like town wide festival. I want to go to one so bad, but then I would like never want to leave. Uh, there's there's a few towns I can think of. The, I mean, the two towns that come to my mind are my my mind my mind are Sleepy Hollow and probably Salem, Massachusetts. Mm-hmm. There's actually um, there's actually a town uh, closer to Sade actually um, mm-hmm. in Oregon. Uh, there's how ha- there's a town that was based uh, that they use for Halloween Town. Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I haven't been, but it's it's one year. Oh yeah, me too. One year. Now with this one, I mean, I think all of us knew the story well, but when reading it, shall we discuss Washington Irving's writing? Well, yeah, I, was, I think it might be actually prudent to discuss Irving himself. Um, yeah, I had to do a bit of research on him as well because I figure I don't think his whole. History is important, but the backstory behind it is he came up with the story while touring Europe mm-hmm. and I'd heard different like legends from different countries. Um, and a lot of them had like I uh, actually had legends with a, about a headless horseman. Yeah, headless horsemen come up a lot in mythology. Um, mm-hmm. If you guys I mean, do you guys know about the like Arthurian legend of Sir Gawain and the Green Knight? I'm not familiar with it. I, I am not. Ah. There's a there's a there's a story that goes that during Christmas Eve in Camelot, a figure calling himself the Green Knight comes to Camelot and challenges Sir Gawain to like a, a thing, saying that if I if you can kill me with one blow of a sword, then uh, you know you you succeed or whatever. It's like it's an honor thing, and if I survive that, then I get to do the same to you. Like just you, we each get one blow against each other, and we'll see who survives. And I think. Uh, Gawain gets to give the first blow and he cuts off the knight's head, but the knight gets up and says, I'll see you in a year. And it just takes off this like recently headless knight. And then it becomes this whole thing. Now, I don't know how, how much that serves into the headless horseman myth, but uh, there is certainly a connection there considering the knight is a figure on horseback who survives at least initially without his head. And then uh, later in that same myth, um, Gawain, he's, he knows that he has to let the, the knight strike a blow against him. And he's terrified because he knows he won't survive, but honor dictates he has to go and do it. So eventually he does find the screen knight again and he has his head back. So it's possible that this was a elaborate like setup because they said the knight was very tall and he had a lot of hair. Mm-hmm. Like it, may, it might have been a fake head. Oh. Like he was wearing one above. But that's a, again, that's Arthurian. And then of course there's the... Uh, the Irish myth, the Doolahan, the uh, oh, that would you one, say, yeah. the head is a headless horseman. Mm-hmm. Another thing that also influenced uh, his writing too is because um, it was during the Romantic period. Mm-hmm. Started in um, uh, Europe, specifically England, and you can tell it really affects his writing because mm-hmm. uh, I think we can all agree the one thing that stands out is his description of nature. It's uh, I, how did, I think you once described it as pastoral. Pastoral. Yeah. He actually lived in that area of New York. He lived specifically in like the uh, the Terrytown area for a while in an estate called Sunnyside. And, uh, you know, it's some people have said that because he is, his father was from Scotland. You might have t- taken some of those, you know, uh, Scottish and Irish like ghost ghost stories with him. And when um, and that he also had, you know, Irish servants, immigrant servants who might have also given the same stories, although a lot of Irving's mythology delves into the stuff specifically related to the Hudson River Valley. So a lot of Dutch myth, Mm -hmm. Dutch mythology, stuff he would have picked up in folktales 
uh, from the uh, Dutch housewives. That's why you get stories like uh, Rip Van Winkle, which is his other most well-known story, or uh, not as well-known, but should be mentioned is also The Devil and Tom Walker, which is a... Oh, yeah. Which is kind of a supernatural story, but also, which involves uh, a a tree, the devil, and uh, pirates. So... uh, Hmm. I just wanted to give some perspective there, but Sleepy Hollow is the one he's most well is he's most well known for, and is the one that uh, definitely cemented itself in the American like consciousness. So, mm-hmm. but I figured it might be best to just kind of just talk about the work as we perceive it. And I think what Kayla was getting at is like the the writing, the way that he writes is a very is he writes the story in a very pastoral kind of sense. Mm-hmm. It's very descriptive, especially of um, the setting. Mm-hmm. And the, the world around him, like amazingly so. It's a, it's like he describes how Ichabod looks in detail. He describes how Katrina looks in detail. He describes how Braun looks in detail. But then he also describes what the school looks like, what the town looks like, what the quilting event looks like. Mm-hmm. The the focus is a lot on the world and how it looks. I think what I enjoyed most about the way he describes things is that he wasn't just kind of like, oh, Ichabod had like a like a really pointy nose, but he like he's like he looked like the uh, those uh, weather I think they're called weathercocks that sit on the roof, you know, like <laughs> they made such such a good image. Um, and even with like Katrina, she was like a plump as a partridge or something like that, if I remember. Um, yeah, it just paints us a really vivid. Maybe because I just love cartoons and I watch a lot of cartoons, but it was like the, the way I pictured the characters was also kind of cartoonish, with just like how descriptive it was. Oh yeah, mm-hmm. I've never actually watched the the Disney Sleepy Hollow thing that they did, but that's when reading that description, I pretty much just imagined like exactly that same makeup bot, like with the same nose and everything. <laughs> actually, I think they act the animators completely based uh, mm-hmm. the look off of that, in, but it definitely in a caricatured way. And mm-hmm. he does sound pretty caricatured. But what I also like, you can tell there's a lot of uh, small jabs. Like uh, one of the descriptions is like, uh, Katrina wore dresses so short, you could see that she had the prettiest ankles. <laughs> <laughs> or uh, the other one is like, now some teachers uh, would consider not beating their students and rather spoil them. Ichabod never spoiled <laughs> his students like oh what i understood from that part was that ichabod was actually a lot kinder to his students than other people would be he he definitely had a balancing act of like he was if if he had the you know classic school teacher like birch rod that he would he spank the students with yeah and if one of the boys really one of the students really cringed away from it he would he would be sparing but if one of them was like really dogged and burly and you know obviously uh, you know, rustling for a fight, he would just lay into them. Uh, what they said was like Ichabod's crane scholars, I think, were were never spoiled. Like the yeah. people who spoiled him, who did that to him. Like he, when he was a boy, he received that probably a lot. Mm-hmm. But uh, he himself is actually a little bit was a little bit more fair and balanced. Okay, yeah, because the paragraph after that, he's like, but he was still a fair man. Yeah, in terms of like the way that the. The valley is described and, you know, I I can get into um, if people know how I feel about Lord of the Rings, people are going to say, isn't that a bit hypocritical that you enjoy the detailed descriptions of this cozy river valley, these fairly romantic descriptions of this river valley? 
but you can't stand the way that everything gets described in Lord of the Rings. Like, well, that goes on for chapters and chapters and chapters and chapters. Irving gets to the point, paints this, paints a scene, and then we get it. Mm-hmm. You know. Plus, it's 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 this it's this whimsical take on this this place. Uh, I love how early on. Now, mind uh, Irving is writing from the perspective of Diedrich Knickerbocker. Mm-hmm. which there's already a little bit of humor in there because it's supposed to be, these are the posthumous writings of Diedrich Knickerbocker, meaning he wrote them posthumously. And they, they never go into it. Like, how can a man write a thing after he's died? He's, he's just, these are, these are the posthumous writings. The part that always stuck out to me is when he, he talks about going squirrel hunting and that he was startled by the sound of his own gun <laughs> because the way it carried so through this valley, it was so quiet. And I was like, that's a, that's a neat, that's a good way to sum up, I think, just how just relaxing this whole area feels. Mm-hmm. Talks about the drowsy, dreamy influence. And then, of course, segues just nicely into talking about also this place is haunted as fuck. <laughs> <laughs> if we, okay, uh, what do you guys think? If we let David keep going. Yeah, I'm trying, I'm really trying not to just go on. I'm really trying, you guys. Please, please. So uh, I want to play, play with me. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, like, I think I'm pretty much mostly agreeing with a lot of what David says. Like, definitely the descriptions of just like the scenery was my favorite. Where uh, I think my favorite part was when he was describing the the bridge, like how this area is like sh- uh, shadowed by trees, and during the day it's you know shady and dark, and then at night this is like overbearing darkness. Like I was able to just like able to like per- perfectly picture it and just kind of really get into the mood so mm-hmm. yeah this for me this was a really enjoyable read and i'm glad we picked this for halloween month or october same i'm glad you think so how about you chelsea uh i enjoyed it i i really liked the name like Diederich knickerbocker like that cracked <laughs> me up so much and i didn't catch that post humorous thing initially <laughs> It's funny because, like, you, I, I think that ties. I think Knickerbocker was also supposed to be the one who describes Rip Van Winkle, so those two universes are connected. Oh, really? Yeah. Like Irving, Irving Cinematic Universe. The, the, <laughs> the, the, the ICU. ICU. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> uh, I will say, like, my biggest note in my notes, because I always have notes, is uh, Terrytown is not Pokemon. <laughs> <laughs> If Terrytown had a Pokemon gym, would it train ghost types or dark types? I'm not going to lie. The names of this are fantastically colorful. Like Ichabod Crane, Katrina Van Tassel, Brom Bones. I mean, those aren't exactly like... Hans Van Ripper. Well, that's okay. Let's stick to this story. But yeah. No, 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 no. I'm saying Hans Van... No, Hans Van Ripper's in the story. <gasps> oh, that's yeah, right. He that's is. right. Sorry, sorry. I'm thinking of Rip Van Winkle. Wow. Yeah. No, it's all good. <laughs> I think with yeah. like just the the wonderful descriptions of the characters, the the names add like like that perfect cherry on top to them. Like you really get a sense of the character with the names. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, uh, I mean he uses the uh, the names are 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 used to really get the point across. I mean Ichabod Crane sums up who that guy is just so mm-hmm. perfectly. Mm-hmm. Ichabod is a biblical name, from what I understand. It is. Crane describes what he looks like. Uh, and you know, the guy, the guy is a singing teacher and specifically he teaches, uh, Sunday hymns. Mm-hmm. So it's almost a little over the top, but it's, I think it's meant to, because, um, if you remember at the end, they're like, is any of this real? 
like they're you're not sure if what they're saying is true or if yeah. it's just a, it's just a story again that... this this whole thing has a tall tale quality to it exactly can I just say that um, initially when I started reading it, I kept picturing Fraser Crane. Like after <laughs> getting past the descriptions, every time I would see Crane, I'd just be like, well, I need to watch Fraser." Ichabod would travel to a local farmhouse and say, those tossed salads and scrambled eggs. <laughs> They're calling again. Uh, what do you guys think of the, um, the scene with the headless horseman? Mm-hmm. Like, did it stand out compared to the rest of the other parts? Or what do you guys think? I feel like that's one of the few parts where you actually feel in the present. Mm-hmm. I think I get what you mean. Like, up until that point, we're just kind of being told, you know, everything of Ichabod's life. And then you do feel more in the moment when you're reading that, like, you're you're there, like, riding side by side with them. Yeah. I enjoyed that, yeah. Me too. I feel like everything from the quilting frolic on is very, pre- it feels more present. Mm-hmm. And sort of like everything before that was a build up to... Now that I've told you all this, let's talk about that fateful night. Mm-hmm. Uh, did you guys find anything scary about it? or Because, I mean, that is... It's a very moody and effective buildup to how just melancholy and eerie the whole thing is. Just went from Ichabod's uh, whole travel home until like the moment he meets the horseman. I think there's some decent rising action to the way that the story is told there. Well, because they don't—he doesn't immediately see the horseman. He he says there is a stranger following me, mm-hmm. and that that in itself is kind of a creepy feeling, even without the supernatural part. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, w- I was going to ask, and I do. This is a question I do want to pose. I do want to ask what people think about the general idea of the ghosts and legends that are sort of talked about in the book. Not just the headless horseman, but a few other ones are brought up. Like the horseman himself is interesting because Terry, the Terrytown myth. Uh, actually had that uh, at some point during the Revolutionary War, there was a Hessian mercenary who was buried without his head in the uh, churchyard, so the legend goes, in the old Dutch churchyard. And so it's very likely that the the idea of the Headless Horseman was already ensconced as a myth in Sleepy Hollow, and that Irving just exacerbated it. Mm-hmm. But, um, I mean, there's, there's such a just simple setup to the whole idea. He was a Hessian trooper. Hessian troopers were German mercenaries. During the uh, revolution, they were hired by the British. And this particular Hessian trooper had his head blown off by a cannonball. And I'm like, that's so much more gruesome than any other. Mm-hmm. <laughs> than any other, like, you, a lot of, I feel like a lot of depictions of the Sleepy Hollow story say that the horseman was like, especially like, you know, the, the Tim Burton one, the oh. horseman was like decapitated by his own sword or something like that. I'm like, no, 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 come on. Keep the cannonball thing. That's <laughs> rad. That's really cool. Uh, actually, um, that's going to be part of one of the discussions or questions that were asked by um, one of our Twitter followers. I, I have a I have a question. Sure. To be shift. Uh, should we talk about our our three main characters? Like we have Ichabod, we have Brom, and we have Katrina. Specifically, Brom and Ichabod are of interest because they do the most. Katrina is kind of the instigator, mm-hmm. but. And she has a part to play, obviously, but like obviously we spend most of our time on this rivalry between Ichabod and Brom. It's the driving force of the story. And it's kind of like the archetypical struggle between the the Yankee and the outdoorsman. Mm-hmm. Like there's they're both these archetypical examples of these like sort of like the city versus the country. Well, they are the definition of opposite rivals, or like you know how um when you create a character who's a rival. 
Mm -hmm. uh, usually they're a counterpart, like, or they're the opposite of you. Yeah. This is the case. This is definitely the case with this one because Brom is the complete opposite of Ichabod. He's in every way. It's very true. Mm -hmm. He's 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 brave. He's brash. He's loud. He's apparently very handsome. By uh... well, here's the funny part. Um, what like he, at first I thought, oh, he seems like a guest on type character. But one of the things I really liked was people were like, oh, wow, he's so brave. But then they're always like, yeah, he's kind of a mischievous little asshole. Too. Oh yeah, and he I gets in I, trouble. I like that. They're they're like. Yeah, he's one brave, strong dude, but God, you, he, God, what a jokester! What a little. How, how did they describe it? Like he gallivants about the hollow with a bunch of the other sleepy hollow boys, and they just ride around late at night and like yell loudly, and people would wake up and be like, "Oh, there goes Brom Bones and his gang again." Yeah, <laughs> like, I, I like that they added that, and it's not just like everybody's like, "Oh, we're so we're so in awe of him." There's just still like, yeah, he's kind of a little shit. And to be fair, maybe this is just my observation, but, you know, Brahm's not really the bad guy. No, he's And neither not. is Ichabod really the good guy, because you start, as you get to know Ichabod, he's got some selfish tendencies, you know? Actually, um, uh, you know what, I, do you want to get into questions? Because we're starting there. Well, I mean, are, are we, we're towing into that, yeah, into question territory? we're starting to tow into question territory. Okay, I just want to have that floating in the ether. What, were there any other, like, observations people wanted to point out before we really get into the questions? Anything either of... Well, I kind of... Kind of the question that you were playing, and I, I did have one about the characters, was, like, how we were made... Like, how did we feel about the characters when they were first introduced versus how we felt about them towards the end of the story? Mm-hmm. Um, like, mm-hmm. like, for me personally, Brom was actually my favorite character. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if you guys want me to get into that or if there's, like, a question that maybe that'll come up in. Um, I think we could still bring that up. Uh, it's a... Um, we could get to I, I you know what here's here's a fair way to do it let's get to the questions that were posed and then if none of the questions that I want to ask were posed by them I will bring them up okay does that seem okay, good okay but like we, we have to discuss like favorite characters though That's oh no we, I do want to discuss favorite characters <laughs> we will because oh my god gunpowder is just <laughs> <laughs> I love the description the description of gunpowder okay I, could, that never gets brought up can we discuss Unpowder. Can we just, yeah. Gunpowder is like best horse. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, let's, yeah. You know what? That is completely fair. Gunpowder's rad. You only, there's only two horses that are ever really described with any character Gunpowder and Daredevil. Mm-hmm. And Daredevil is Daredevil's got nothing on Gunpowder. No, no. Yeah, Gunpowder with his one eye and his ornery personality. <laughs> He's an old, broken down plow horse. And like, I imagine him being like a shorter kind of horse. That way, like when Ichabod sits on him, it just exaggerates that that knee, <laughs> which, which is going way up. Just because, like, Ichabod is described as tall and gangly, so you see this tall guy. Well, they even the way they even describe it is that his knee, his legs are so long, and gunpowder is so like low to the ground that when he gets in the stirrups, his knees rise practically to the pommel of the saddle. So he's riding with his knees way up, practically to like his hip, just way up like that. And I have like going- a little doodle of it. Oh my god, please. Do it. Do oh it. my god. I wanna see I wanna see Chelsea's interpretation of these characters. Oh my god, this sounds amazing. I love the sound of this. This is great. But it ends up just being gunpowder though. You could just do uh, you could do gunpowder riding on Ichabod, like on his back. Oh, I was thinking god. like gunpowder dressed as each of the characters. Oh my god. <laughs> 
the funny part, oh God, is Katrina wearing a long dress. It's like, but I'm showing off my ankles. I, <laughs> the one thing I do like about Katrina, though, is they describe her as a coquette, which means she was very flirty, but she oh, never, she never what means. Oh yeah, yeah. So the I, idea I was imagining the food. Coquette. <laughs> 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 so, so a coquette is the idea is that she uh, she is kind of flirtatious and she is like likes to like uh, flirt with the guys, but she was never uh, she's picky. I think the idea is she preferred flirting and being single than it's like being having the idea of being tied down. She loves the idea of, of uh, men fighting over her. Exactly. So she's like. Who wants to fight over little old me? Let me show my ankles. See how pretty they are. Ooh, scandalous. Imagine how they look higher up. Oh. Imagine how my knee looks. Oh, those are the <laughs> sexiest knees I've ever seen. Ichabod's uh, riding by with his knees practically up to the pommel. <laughs> no one compliments Ichabod's knees, even though he's basically sticking them out for all the world to see. <laughs> Here's here's an interesting. I just thought of something. Oh, actually, yeah, favorite characters. Uh, so uh, we all love gunpowder. I think yes. that's been established. Mm-hmm. And 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 you, uh, what do, what do you what do you like about uh, about Brahms, Aid? I think for me it was like, well, first he comes across that you know just the brute, and you're kind of at the beginning you want to kind of like Crane more because he's the brains and he's scholarly and whatever. But like at the end, Brahms shows that he's got some brains too because he. The way I see it, like he did the he did the trick. He scared Ichabod out of town, mm. and uh, he had enough sense to pick up that Ichabod was really buying into these ghostly stories, and it was like, oh sweet, I can totally get this guy. <laughs> so, that's what for me what was charming about Brom was like he played a good game. Yeah, yeah. Brom's Brom is uh, a see like one of the things they talk about is like he knew. I think Irving says Brom knew he couldn't beat Ichabod like mentally, mm-hmm. like in terms of like, obviously the guy is way smarter than he is. So I'm going to go to what I know best, which is uh, as Irving says, rustic waggery. <laughs> so I know how to be like street smart and how to pull pranks. And I'm going to use that to my advantage. And that's what he does throughout the whole of their rivalry. Mm-hmm. Like just like these, these little shitty things like stopping up chimneys and, teaching a dog to, to howl whenever Ichabod tried to sing. Well, even so, like, the thing is, everybody's like, well, Ichabod Crane is supposed to be a hero, but then there's p- moments that you're like, he's kind of... Like, he goes to the quilting event, and um, he's like, oh, he imagined how all of this being his, mm-hmm. or how, how it would be his, and I'm like, whoa, a little presumptuous there? Yeah, like in in David synopsis, you said that Ichabod was in love with Katrina, but I never got that sense like he was in love with her. Because like even when Katrina like sends him away, you get the feeling that Ichabod's more angry than heartbroken. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's it's I think he's thinking about his future in general, and his mm-hmm. love for Katrina is coupled with the love for the fact that she for her money. Yeah. Basically, she's like, uh, or he's like, um, Ichabod's a gold uh, digger. Yep. He's he's like Dan Backslide. He is. <laughs> he is Dan Backslide. So you know, he's just like, dear Katrina Van Tassel. Oh, how I love her. Father's money. Where Brom actually he does confound those sleepy hollow boys. 
They drive me to drink! <laughs> wow. But, like, Braum, though, he's actually trying to woo her. Like, it's specifically her rather than her money. Katrina comes from the richest man in town, but isn't, like, Braum pretty... Not not rich, but... Braum, Braum's not... Brom's not wealthy, from what I understand. He's just kind of, he's like everybody else. He's a very, like, salt of the earth kind of guy. Mm-hmm. I think some versions of the story have said he's either a farmer's son or maybe he's a blacksmith. Mm-hmm. I don't remember what they say in the, in the story what he does other than be just kind of a general nuisance to the community. Like, good-natured nuisance, you yeah. know? Yeah. Like, I, I don't see the thing is, but he is more, like you said, he's more country or Ichabod is more city. Right. So he's, Ichabod would be more likely to see the money part of it as a city man, mm-hmm. where Brom is like, I'm a country guy. I, I live here and enjoy my life. I just want this pretty girl in my around my waist. <laughs> <laughs> or I, I, wanna, I want to put my hand around this pretty girl's waist. Wow, that came out weird. <laughs> I want to wear this woman like a belt <laughs> as I go riding around. <laughs> <laughs> I thought Kayla meant more as like have her legs around his waist. Oh, oh. well, I mean, yeah. Well, that's true. That's but yeah, I think it, he actually genuinely. I mean, I don't. I'm not sure if he loves her, but he definitely finds her attractive and w- is like, I, I the, want the most beautiful woman to be my wife. There's more. There's more of an ulterior motive with Ichabod. Yes. Which is, again, as I think is interesting because because from the beginning. Well, from the beginning, you're kind of like, like, Ichabod is our hero. Obviously, he's the underdog in this situation. And he kind of is. But, and you can't help but like be like, okay, yeah, let's see how this goes. But then he gets to the whole part where he's like, when I become rich, oh, how quickly I'm going to snap my fingers in the face of everybody who helped me and go like, no, be away, urchin. You know, that kind of thing. And meanwhile, he's just going around eating everybody's food. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, he he moves from, he stays in place to place. He can't live in the schoolhouse. He's, no. He is poor. Yeah, he is poor. Because uh, remember, all he had was like his clothes, um, and then they sold it all off after <coughs> they couldn't find him. Yeah, that's right. One uh, thing that I do like most about Ichabod is his appreciation for food, because it rivals my own. <laughs> yeah, that's true. I do like that about him. Oh, the description of the food. Yeah. No one in this story is perfect. Ichabod has his flaws, but he still mm-hmm. has the things where he's like, he's actually trying, he's helping the pupils. He's teaching singing to like improve his income. He likes to hang out with the townsfolk and tell stories where he loves to hear their ghost stories. And he himself is like, oh, at New England witchcraft, you know? <laughs> the thing about and, both and, characters is that uh, not one is better than the other, I want to say. They're not, both human. Yeah, that's the thing. Uh, I mean, Ichabod, like, goes around and, like, helps with farm chores. He earns his keep. He's not, like, a terrible person. When he sees an opportunity to, like, live a better life, he's just like, heck yeah, I'm going to marry this girl and live like a king for the rest of my days. Mm-hmm. So. All right, shall we get into the questions? Sounds good. All, All right. right. So, Alex Hatzberger... Or at the site guy hats. Thank you, Alex. Asks, what sort of effect do you think that Sleepy Hollow has had on modern horror? You know what I think it had an effect on? So when I took um, animation classes, uh, there's this trick that we were taught how to do where it's like you you switch between one scene and like uh, one part than the other. So the 
uh, where kind of it's kind of like a chasing scene. So you see like this person kind of like walking, and then you see this villain catching up to him, and then goes back, and then this person's walking cl- closer, and then you see that it's like oh god, it's coming faster and faster and faster. Uh-huh. So the idea of like a like the build up during a horror scene, I think that like that that sort of story of like the build up during a uh, scary scene like the the slow build-up to it ultimately a payoff exactly i think that probably affected a lot of modern horror i think that it does the build-up perfectly mm-hmm. i don't I, there probably has been many times before this where that build-up has occurred but this is a really good show of it i feel like one of the big things it contributed was the idea of the american gothic it's got gothic elements to it, but it's a distinctly American story. You know, that is true. When there, you think- there's no secret panels. There's no gusts of wind that suddenly blow out candles. No hairy arms reaching out from behind the walls. You know, nothing like you would read about in, like, there's no haunted English castles. We're dealing with more earthy things. We're dealing with farms. We're dealing with churchyard, old churchyards. And we're dealing with uh, uh, bridges and brooks and dark forests. But everything has that has a distinctly rustic feel to it, as opposed to like an old, ancient, crumbling feel to it. And then if you think of uh, the other horror influences like Dracula, Frankenstein, those all came from Europe. This is specifically American. And I think there's an extra sense of menace to your ghost when it's a local it's a very local specter from recent memory. You have people at Van Tassel's uh, quilting frolic who were actually there during the Civil War, or the Revolutionary War. Mm-hmm. Like, that war was still within recent memory. There were probably people at that party who had met the Hessian. Mm-hmm. So having, there's a little bit more of a closeness to the horror and mm-hmm. to the ghosts of the hollow. Like, they're, they're more, it's not like you're dealing with something from the ancient past. You're dealing with something in recent memory. And I think that's, uh, that has a uh, kind of a, a neat, horrifying subtext in itself, you know? Mm-hmm. The ghost is someone you knew, you could have known. Also, the Headless Horseman is like, a freaking cool image and shows up a lot in modern horror. That's that's the default answer. Chelsea, do you want to go? <laughs> I need to think about it a little bit more. Okay. And we're kind of going off of what what David was saying about how the it was a local story, and that's kind of what made it eerie. I like that it was like everyone's connected. Everyone who lives in that the Sleepy Hollow area is connected to the story because either they had lived there or maybe they're someone they knew who lived there or lived during that time. Then I like at the end how they say that Ichabod's old schoolhouse just kind of fell apart and is vacant now. And then like every now and then someone say like they can hear Ichabod singing because now he's a ghost there. Just mm-hmm. like. Mm-hmm. You can decide for yourself if this, oh, if it was supernatural, yeah, maybe his ghost is there. Or maybe they're just, you know, this this old, not even that old of a town is just, like, full of these superstitions. And because it's so kind of closed off and, like, tidally knit together, you know, you, you're going to have these superstitions that grow because everyone there kind of adds to it and it stays mm-hmm. in that area. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's actually really good. I hadn't thought of it that way, but that's, this is good. And actually... Kind of building off of that, there's also the the whole what if principle of the whole thing. Actually, Alex Hatzberger asked another question, uh, which I think could build off us. Do you think the events of the story were supernatural or the work of Brahm? Ah, this is the age old question with this story. Mm-hmm. <laughs> is it, it like is this all actually? Did this actually happen, or was this all Brahm's doing? All right, panel, let's go. We already kind of heard uh, say. Do you you think that it was Brahm? Yeah, I say it was Brahm. Okay. Uh, Chelsea, what do you think? I thoroughly think it's Brahm as well. Like, there are so many things of, oh, 
Crane believes in witchcraft. Crane believes in witchcraft. And then just like there, it just feels like there are a lot of hints saying, oh, hey, he kind of believes in the supernatural. And Brahms picking up on that. Mm hmm. Even then, without Brahms' help, like they describe how, like after classes, he like uh, Ichabod likes to you know read these ghostly stories, and then on his way to wherever he's staying that night. So even yeah. without Brahms' help, you know he he scares himself mm-hmm. with, with his crazy imagination. So well, another thing too, if it is Brahm, what happened to Ichabod Crane? Does that mean he killed him, or did he actually run out of town with gunpowder? Uh, if we're going with that. He definitely skipped town. I don't think he died. That's mm. for sure. Mm-hmm. He skipped town out of fear and then eventually settled in New York City because that's where they say there's a sighting of him in the future. Mm-hmm. Didn't gunpowder make it home, which is why they started searching for him in the first place? Yeah, yeah they found gun, yeah. they found gunpowder then. They went to the bridge, found... The saddle and a pumpkin. Yeah. I know my gunpowder lore. <laughs> anything yeah. concerning gunpowder and then there was also a line where they were talking about how every time someone's telling the story and the part with the pumpkin comes up Brom will like laugh knowingly but not say anything mm-hmm. I think Irving is definitely leading us to to believe to know that this was Brom yeah. like ultimately this was Brom pulling the prank the head that was thrown at Ichabod well there's the Brom, Brom gaslighted Ichabod so bad. He was like, he tells this whole story about, oh, I raced the horseman. And, and when we got to the bridge, he disappeared in a flash of fire. That's all in Ichabod's head. So that Ichabod stops at the end of the bridge. Meanwhile, the horseman throws his head at Ichabod after stopping short. Mm-hmm. But the head, what they don't, they don't find fragments of a head. They find a smashed pumpkin in the road. And it's like, okay, uh, the horseman clearly didn't actually throw a head at Ichabod. He threw a pumpkin, like a, a glowing pumpkin, jack-o'-lantern. Mm-hmm. But what's interesting is I, I, everything before that is such, is such a good build-up. There's the fact that Brahm's horse is also a black steed, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then, a powerful yeah. black horse. Exactly. And when they to describe the horseman as being of large dimensions, again, I think of uh, Sir Gawain and the Green Knight. The Green Knight was described as a being of large dimensions where it was hard to see his head, and when his head was cut off, he still was able to ride away and his voice seemed to boom from nowhere. It could be the Green Knight had a thing on that made him look bigger than he actually was because the fake head was on top. So Brom was probably doing the same thing. He just had he was his head and stuff was all tucked under his clothes or whatever. If you remember the movie uh, uh, Sleepy Hollow, like the the Tim Burton one, mm-hmm. there's actually a scene where you see, uh, I think, the character who plays Brom. Yeah. Or the, the character Brom actually wears like a thing on his head that puts like the shoulders higher and then he there's a cloak that covers up his head. Right. How did Brom know where Ichabod was going to be? But then again, cuz he knows where his home where his home is. He right. knows where he needs to go back home. And he also knows that uh there's not many ro- roads in and out of the hollow. No. This is a small town. Right. Mm-hmm. I see the interesting thing about the story is I think the the, the educated reader is always going to know that yeah every th- every bit of evidence in the story points to Brom but there's that tantalizing I want to believe aspect that's actually written into the story that says but it could have been the actual headless horseman it could have been the headless horseman and there's a part of you as a reader that doesn't want to let that part go, you know? Because wouldn't it be, isn't it much more exciting to think that he actually met the ghost on the road? I think so. And I love the fact that most of the people accept the the Dutch housewives version of events. They're just like, nope, 
It was the headless horseman. So while I'm with you guys, I think it's Brom. I want to believe. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's definitely the more. It's much more fun of a story if it is the horseman. Yeah, exactly. And it's actually it's funny because that's the same way I feel about the yellow wallpaper. You want to? I want to believe that it's a haunted house and that there's a ghost and that or the ghost or somehow it's resonating with this woman's uh, emotions. I want to believe that this is the horseman, despite all evidence to the contrary. Mm-hmm. I'm. I will accept that it's the contrary, but there's that fun tantalizing thing of yeah. But what if it really was the Headless Horseman? Mm-hmm. What if Ichabod really is dead? Uh, so Beth Morton, uh, or at Nadiri, thank you, Beth, uh, ask, what do you think makes it such an iconic staple of Halloween and horror in general? I'm not. You're not allowed to answer, David. I want to hear from Sage. Yeah, no, I'm. I'm stopping or, right now. Or Chelsea. I think one of the, the things that help is the the pumpkin itself, just because that's already iconic for Halloween. In mm-hmm. in reading it, they don't describe the like Ichabod notices. Oh shit, he's holding his head, but he doesn't describe a pumpkin. He thinks he probably just saw because it was so dark, just this mass, and assumed it was the head. And then later, we realize later, oh, it was just a pumpkin that he threw. I don't know. Just that that's it's so iconic to Halloween, and it fits perfectly. Like, who doesn't want a headless horseman on Halloween (laughs) running down Main Street? (laughs) Throwing pumpkins at everything. Yeah. (laughs) Pelting everybody's mailboxes. (laughs) (laughs) I meant Main Street is in the... Because I know at Disney World, during Halloween, they have an actual headless horseman who will run down on a horse. I want to see it one day so bad. Me too. Oh, you know, what was great, too, is at Disney World, they actually had, uh, I don't know if they still do this, but they had a storyteller for a number of years in Liberty Square who introduced himself to people as Diedrich Knickerbocker. Oh, that's so oh. cool. And then he would tell the story of the Headless Horseman Dang, that's to anybody who would listen. Chelsea, why do you think this story is such so iconic to Halloween now? I mean, I, I don't know. I'm so bad at these kind of essay questions when I don't already have them. <laughs> I mean, I think it's just a good combination of multiple things. Just like you've got witchcraft mentioned, you've got the pumpkin, you've got a a creepy headless guy running around. (laughs) And you've got like interpretations of it that just can keep going on and on and on forever. Um, (laughs) Halloween's also kind of like, you know, it's trick or treat. So you got you got your trick here with Brom. So it's just it's a good mischievous story. Mm. And the treat is Katrina. Oh, God. <laughs> and her ankles. <laughs> those ankles. Oh, Give me those ankles. What, uh, what, about, what about you, Kayla? Me? Why do you think it's so iconic to Halloween? I think it's because of the, um, the description of it. Because a lot of the words in it describe what you feel when it comes to Halloween. Like the spooky atmosphere, the idea of like a stranger following you, the fact that there's a legend. And that kind of goes with Halloween in general. Like Halloween is built on legends and folklore. Mm-hmm. And um, I feel like this is Amer- this is America's one main folklore that we can all grab onto. I mean, a lot of countries have... Uh, like different scary stories that they can connect to, um, especially like in England and Europe. This one's American. And ha- and Halloween, as we understand it, like here is is has a distinctly like 
kind of if you go with all the really old Halloween stuff, it goes back to like colonial traditions, you know. Mm-hmm. So this is a very colonial kind of story. This is in the early days of the country. Mm-hmm. I I think everybody nailed that one yeah. pretty good. And I know you said I wasn't allowed to say anything, but I have one more thing I want to add to go that. Go for it. <laughs> I think there's also the coziness of the idea of sitting around on a dark night while apples roast on a fire and everybody tells ghost stories yeah what's more halloween than that like sort of this these old these harvest celebrations there's this great feeling of like because the that we, they never say what night it's on but it's during the fall it's yes. a fall party oh it's after it's a harvest party mm-hmm. and that feels so halloween and it feels like the halloween i want to have i want to go to a quilting frolic i want to bob <laughs> for apples and dance in a parlor and then sit down with a bunch of old folks and listen to war stories and eventually turn into ghost stories about the local region it's 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 so it feels so cozy i think there's a cozy halloween feel to it at the same time as the scary halloween feel to it Mm -hmm. so beth has one last question what do you think is the best film adaptation would you mind discussing a few different ones you've seen and their pros and cons briefly sure so this has been adapted so many times. Mm-hmm. Midnight Marinara has a version of it. I know it does. <laughs> um, the ones that I, I mean, that I know is the Disney one is probably the most well known, and then there's the Tim Burton Sleepy Hollow one. Did you know there's a version that has Jeff Goldblum as Ichabod Crane? Oh my! Like a young Jeff Goldblum. God. Ah, I need to watch that. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's like a. Uh, I think it's like a masterpiece theater version or something. Oh, oh, oh there's a wishbone version. <laughs> I think uh, the wishbone version is actually the only one that I've seen. Really? Oh, really? Yeah, I haven't seen the Disney one, the Tim Burton one. I think I've seen like a few minutes of the Tim Burton one, but like that's it. Uh, the, the Tim Burton one is definitely not fateful. It, it mm. It goes off on its own thing. It really wants to be like it doesn't it does away practically with the whole is it a ghost or was it a prank? No, this is straight up a demon from hell ghost that's going out cutting off people's heads. And it's Christopher Walken as the <laughs> Yes, Christopher Walken is the headless horseman. And when you see him as the Hessian soldier, he his he has like bright blue eyes, his hair is all sticking up. His teeth are actually sharpened. Yes. His only line of dialogue in the movie is, rah! rah. <laughs> actually, I realize now, I have seen, like, the first two episodes of the Sleepy Hollow TV series, but I, I, oh. I didn't stick with it after that. I didn't no, you- Yeah, the only, like, except for the Disney adaptation, the only one I've really seen is the TV series, and I only watched the first season. Was it not very good? I, I liked the first season. Um, you definitely don't get that uh, question of whether or not it's super not it's super supernatural. <laughs> well, isn't isn't like the headless horseman supposed to be one of the horsemen of the apocalypse? I think so. I don't remember. <laughs> uh, I know the Disney one is very fateful, actually. Or the, fateful. I think the Dis- the Disney one really helped uh, actually help recapitulate Sleepy Hollow into the popular consciousness. I know for a fact that I grew up watching that version of Sleepy Hollow. Same. That's how I knew about it. But I mean, the characters look exactly like how they're described. Um, even, I mean, I don't think the car- the horse that is supposed to be gunpowder 
looks exactly like that. I think they uh, kind of made he, He's a big goofy horse. He's or a, goofy. Is a little good. He's, he's still a, a scraggly old horse, but he's played really sillily. Yeah. The stubbornness and the uh, the orneriness is downplayed a little bit yeah. on gunpowder, I, which is kind of disappointing. When they, they never, I don't think they ever showed the image of his knees to his. I'm gonna have to watch it again because I think you yeah. still see Ichabod's knees sticking way up in the. I think we well, I mean, we have to watch it for um, Animusings. That's true, but it's gonna be a little while, yeah. isn't it? Mm-hmm. If you want to rewatch it before that, I'm. I wanna I wanna watch it for Halloween. Yeah, <laughs> but I I would say that's. One is the one that keeps true to the story, and the scene actually with the headless horseman is still chilling. Oh yeah, that. Well, the interesting thing is there's a lot of tropes that I feel like that version developed that other people carried on with that weren't originally. Like there's the idea that the headless horseman is going around chopping off people's heads. That was never in the original story. Like any head will do. He'll he'll come for your head because he can't find his own. Yeah. The in the original story, it's like. What does the horseman actually do? He's just riding back to that battlefield looking for his head. But did they ever say that he, like, kills people? No. Not in that story. In the Disney version, the horseman is outright threatening and carries a machete and tries to chop Ichabod's head off. Yeah. And, you know, I think that adds, I think that's fair. Add a little bit of extra menace to the headless horseman. But so many other versions have added to that saying, no, the horseman... The way to make the horseman scary is to actually have him around, riding around, cutting off heads because mm-hmm. he wants his he wants a new head. And I always thought that was interesting. I mean, you see it in all kinds of places. There was a Scooby Doo episode that had the headless horseman in it, and I remember that they tried to go unmask the horseman when he seemed to have the head of like you know, if you know Scooby Doo, it's just like they tried to pull the guy's mask off. It's just like let go of my face, and it, yeah, it was just the guy being like. Yeah, I totally killed this other guy and took his head, but it was just the guy. <laughs> he wasn't wearing a mask. Just let go of my face. The Wishbone one, the Wishbone episode is also faithful. I kind of want to watch the Wishbone one again. It's yeah. it's so cute. I miss Wishbone. There's a uh, if you want to see a really amusing adaptation, there's a 1999 all CGI version called Night of the Headless Horseman. It is so awkward. Wait, like. CGI like, like early, early CGI like think think reboot oh oh dear but it's it's the legend of it's it's a very loose interpretation of the legend of sleepy all because it's played really dark like it's actually surprisingly dark for something that I think is ostensibly meant for kids the one of the first things that happens is the horseman cuts a dude's head off there's no again once again they're playing up no this is scary the horseman's not actually Brom it's it's a it's the real headless horseman. And as he's chasing Ichabod, he's summoning other ghosts and bats and things to chase Ichabod, too. Mm-hmm. And it's like it needs to be seen. Everybody moves so awkwardly and their faces look so bad. It's so great. It's so great. I love but it. You, I mean, another one that I remember is there's an Are You Afraid of the Dark episode that ha- that is based off the legend of Sleepy Hollow. But the idea is like the main character is um in this episode is like the descendant of Ichabod Crane and they still live in Sleepy Hollow and I remember this one. Mm-hmm. I remember that episode. Th- this just goes to show how much of an effect this story has had on um col- on culture, like in- on American culture. Mhm. Just like how often it's retold, retooled, uh, it, it's just such a classic story. Isn't it nice that it's in the public domain so everybody can just do their own version <laughs> of it? Thank God. Yeah. Was that all of our questions? Yep, that's it. Did you guys have any favorite ghosts or legends that were told other than 
other than the headless horseman. Like, what do you mean? Outside of the story? Well, I mean, like, there's a couple ghosts that get mentioned that I think sound kind of cool. I would love to hear more stories about, like, the woman in white. Mm -hmm. Uh, That's actually one that I noticed, too, because there's lots of different woman in white stories. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Like, uh... There's a a more modern urban legend one is like people driving and they see a woman in a white dress on the side of the road and they pick her up and then she like disappears or they they lure her, or she lures them somewhere, and then there's a like the, the La Llorona, which is yes. in white. It's a Mexican ghost story about this woman who wanders around like crying for her children that she drowned. Ay, mi Dios. I love I love the La Llorona myth. Me yeah. too. Uh, I, I, I just re- I just realized that was redundant. I said the La Llorona myth. <laughs> I should have just said the Llorona myth. I love La Llorona. Can we can we talk about that sometime? If we find an actual like are there any novels or stories that have been written like about La Llorona? La Llorona? I'm sure there has been. Like I've I've seen like like little I, I, there's a a couple movies based on it. I think there's a cartoon. Like a movie mm-hmm. cartoon based on it. Um, I've seen uh, like short videos. I saw this one that was super adorable. It's just these kids, I think, made a, a video for class of the La Llorona. And so they're like acting out the video. Oh, that's so cool. <laughs> it's so adorable. Um, but when I was actually reading this, I was like, yeah, there are a lot of different like women in white stories. That might be something cool to just get collect a whole bunch of them and talk about them on the witching hour. So that's something mm-hmm. you can do. That'd be cool. That'd be awesome. Uh, I kind of like the whole idea about the, the tree, like the huge oak tree. Mm. Mm. The one that they, where Major Andre was captured. There's, I don't know if this actually happened. I don't know if they take it, say it in the story, but they say Major, I think that tree can actually still be found in uh, Terrytown. If you're in Terrytown, you can find the tree. And they mentioned how, and it's still known as Major Andre's tree. I mean, it's crazy because like, you don't know how much Irving actually made up because like, the so much of the region already had this lore and he drew from it in order to enhance the story and uh, that's one of those actual local legends that he pulled from but yeah if you ever happen to be there and you see a ghost hanging by its neck from the tree on a noose that'll be pretty rad um i have one thing i can close with what fun fact so obviously uh i mean if if you want to go to sleepy hollow it's a real place uh Gets really exciting on Halloween. Good, uh, my good friend, friend of the show, Nick Barbera, is actually playing Ichabod Crane at the uh, Horseman's Hollow haunt this year. Oh, that's oh cool. So if you happen to be in New York and you want to go to Sleepy Hollow to check that out, uh, he's he's in the schoolhouse at Phillipsburg Manor playing Ichabod Crane, and like that's so Which, funny because uh, actually Nick Barbera played Ichabod Crane in Midnight Marinera's uh, uh, rendition of Sleepy Hollow. But the the other thing I want to do is I want to make a pilgrimage there myself someday, and I don't care when we go. Halloween would be the best time to go. Yes. Mm-hmm. But I actually have an ancestor buried in the old Dutch uh, churchyard. Um, uh, you've mentioned this before, which is pretty cool. Have I mentioned it on, on here? I don't know. I don't think you have. Uh, I have an ancestor by the name of Carl Schurz, who is buried in uh, Sleepy Hollow, and... Uh, he was a German, the first German-born U.S. politician. I'll leave it at that. Cool. So I would like to go to Sleepy Hollow to pay my respects to Uncle Carl. <laughs> so uh, for November, because uh, uh, I uh, my birthday is in November, and I said, let me pick, let me pick. Uh, 
we're going to do, uh, we're going to read I Have No Mouth and I Must Scream by Harlan Ellis. Yes, I am so excited. I've been wanting to discuss this for a while, so. We're going to get some proper horror there. Oh, yeah. I, I've not read this. I'm excited for something that I'm not familiar with. It is in the public domain, so it can be read. We'll put links to that in our show notes. We'll put links to Midnight Marinara's Sleepy Hollow 2. And what else Thank do we want you. links for? Of course. <laughs> what else do we want links for? Uh, blah. Sausage links. Sausage links. <laughs> Sounds good. Yeah, I'm hungry. <laughs> <laughs> hey, let's 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 have a quilting frolic. Yes. Let's all just get together and have a quilting frolic. Yeah, let's do that. I think that's a good idea. Let's. Uh, in that case, everybody, uh, let's blow out the candles and uh, let's go quilting. Yeah. Happy <laughs> Halloween, everybody. Happy Halloween. Happy Halloween.